This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's Tuesday and that means it's time for our crack strategy panel. The Prime Minister spoke just over an hour ago and as predicted when it comes to repatriating the bodies of the loved ones lost in the downing of Flight 752, we are running into a big problem in that Iran does not recognize the Canadian citizenship of many of the victims. On the provincial front, the impasse and animosity in the education dispute is deepening with no end in sight. Meanwhile, the Premier promised no surprises for municipalities in the next budget. A nice change. So, of course, as always, we would like to hear from you. The numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I would like to welcome John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road, Karen Stintz, former City Councilor and current CEO of Variety Village, and Charles Bird, Managing Partner, Principal of Ernst Cliff Strategy Group here in Toronto. Thank you for joining us and welcome. Thank you. Hello there. Hello. Okay, so this is uh, something I think we all predicted. Iran does not recognize the Canadian citizenship of the dual citizens, Iranian Canadians, and that's a problem for people who want to repatriate the bodies of their loved ones. Trudeau keeps saying that he's trying to emphasize to them respecting the wishes of the families. Um, where does that leave him and, and those families that are suffering a, a terrible tragedy to begin with? It's a huge challenge, and I think, you know, and I give credit where credit is due, and I, I, the Prime Minister, I think, is doing the best he can. I think he's been uh, certainly out there and and, um, and uh, consoling the families of those that, that were involved in the in the tragedy, and, and he's been going across the country sort of, you know, saying that and, and being able to uh, to try to do his best to, to console such a, a horrible um, uh, accident. I think when it comes to Iran, it's a tough, tough uh, uh, issue, no matter how you look at it, from from the perspective of, the, you know, you can't believe what they say. You, you, you don't, you, they don't recognize certain things that traditional countries would 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 obviously look at. Uh, the prime minister is obviously um, putting some pressure on Iran by saying, "Look, at at least give us the black box. You guys don't have the technology to be able to assess and read and and and, and find out and analyze what what the black box uh, uh, data says. So at least if you don't want to send it to Canada, send it to another country, ideally France, and let them analyze it and do something. There's got to be some closure for families." families and, and and that's one of the ways that you can probably do it and I'm not sure he's going to get any success and he can't rely on the US to help in this regard either because of course Iran and the US have, a, have their own uh, challenges so a tough situation for Canadians and a tough one for the prime minister uh, the black box I thought was supposed to go to Ukraine and they kind of s- changed their minds at the last minute so I think there's a lot of that bait and switch Charles well um 
even Iran's own civil aviation organization has admitted that they don't have the technical expertise to um, deal with the black box adequately. Apparently, it was damaged as a result of the crash, but the memory is still intact. But Iran's civil aviation organization has actually come out and said that it really they will need assistance from France and the United States. Um, match that up against the politics of the situation. Of course, you know Iran finds itself in an unenviable position um, in terms terms of uh, international politics and diplomacy. Um, they are reacting in a way that indicates some degree of contrition for all the good that does the, the families of the victims. Um, and in Canada's foreign affairs minister, um, Francois-Philippe Champagne, met with his Iranian counterpart in Oman last Friday. And uh, the government continues to stress the importance of the black box being the black boxes being sent to folks who can actually handle uh, their deciphering and the downloading of information. So it's it's really beyond the pale to think that the Iranians would use the the pretense of their unwillingness to recognize dual citizenship as a way of holding on to the bodies of the deceased. It's just it's it's the kind of international nightmare they do not need, and I think they will come around. Well, yeah, but it's also a, I mean I I don't know if. Uh, they're in a position to release the bodies in terms of forensic examination, but but in terms of the Muslim practice, you know, the, they need to be buried as soon as possible. Yeah. And, um, I mean, should should the West be tougher with them? Say, listen, you don't play ball on this. We're going to shut down aviation. Mm-hmm. Well, it certainly is a geopolitical nightmare uh, in that the Iranian people want answers too, and the Iranian government can't give answers to their own people. So now they're relying on the goodwill of France to help them solve this issue for, for their own people. So that um, puts them in an unenviable position to the point that was raised earlier. But the challenge that Iran, Iran has is that they, they just can't recognize dual citizenship for those that have been involved in a plane accident. You either recognize dual citizenship or you don't, and they don't. So Although Canada can ask for it, I don't think it's a concession that will be granted. But as we ask for many things, the hope is, to John's point, is that eventually we'll get closure on what happened on the flight and how it was down and what, what led to that and get some more closure for those families. But I, I don't think it's reasonable to think that those bodies are coming home. Libby, if I can just quickly interject, it's important to remember that Canada is not alone in, in this particular question. I mean, uh, Afghanistan, the Ukraine, Britain, Sweden, all lost citizens. And so um, these countries have, in fact, formed an international coordination and response group for the victims of the flight. And so we're not alone in this. We are working in a concerted effort. And you know the United States is also quite involved as well. Okay, um, moving along, we now have multiple school boards involved in the education dispute. At first, I thought the government looked pretty good. Then they, they also um, pledged money last week to help with child care costs. But this is going nowhere but, but deepening animosity. When does it become a liability for the Ford government or a bigger liability than it is? Well, I think their strategy that they've unleashed, I think it was today, uh, around the um, general awareness that they're not the only government in the last 30 years that has had trouble with the teachers union. Oh, they've been saying that since day yeah. one. And so now they've got even a more concerted mm-hmm. campaign on that fact that, listen, you know what, that the liberals had problems with them, the NDP had problems with the teachers union. So it's not um, 
it's, it's not just us being contrary. It's just the union is asking for things that we can't give. And, and I, you know, I, th- I think that there is a growing awareness that um, there are restraints that are required for uh, every public sector job, teachers included. And, uh, you know, at some point, parents do get frustrated. Like, can't you guys just sort this out? Um, and, you know, I think the, the strategy right now to deflect against the government and put it back on the teachers, I, I think will actually have some traction. Uh, John is saying, now I have a question because uh, we hear from a lot of people on this and a lot of them are saying, legislate them back to work and call in an arbitrator. But if an arbitrator is called in, then the Ford government's insistence that they're not paying more than 1%, that's out the window, right? Well, that's the risk of of getting an arbitrator in there. But I do think, though, and and the minister has been asking for one, and I think that what we're seeing now is... He's been asking for a private mediator, not an arbitrator. Right. There is a difference. And and the private mediator actually is is another form of trying to get the two sides together, because even right now, the two sides aren't even close to to where they want to be, because the government's basically saying, we're not budging on the 1%. And of course, they can't budge on the 1%, given the fact that there was already contracts with the previous unions done under 1% and also the commitment of the 1% uh, uh, freeze. So it's a huge challenge. They're they're probably going to probably bend with respect to the class sizes they already have on the e-learning they already have. Um, And I think that message is getting out there and it's starting to affect, you know, what the unions are doing because it makes it it sound as if the unions are only after the 1% or only after the the pay increase, which of course becomes a bit of a problem when kids are being affected by this. Um, I've said this on the show before, Libby, I think it's going to come down to public opinion. I think the the unions are, are are holding firm, the government's holding firm on this, and it's going to be public opinion that's going to determine whether or not, you know, what side and what the pressure is going to be over the next little while. Uh, and it's unfortunate because during that time, the, the unions are escalating their um, their strike action, which means now more and more days of action are happening, and more and more kids are being affected. Now the elementary kids are being affected, which is even worse, because they're younger, and, that, and, the, and, the kid, and families have to find daycare solutions for them. Uh, Charles, uh, you know, I, I'm seeing... It lately, more support for the teachers. We're seeing a bit of a movement of parents who are saying, you know, I'm going to give my 25 bucks a day back to teachers for the education system. We've seen parents joining the picket lines. Uh, so I'm not so sure about that. Where do you think? Yeah, I think community? Education Minister Lecce seems a little less sure-footed at, at the moment. There was He, he um, came out, I think it was on the weekend, and said that uh, a vast majority of spending on education in the province goes to teachers. Well, and, that, of course. And, and that's true of any organization. I mean, salaries generally are the number one expenditure of any any organization, um, but the implicit suggestion and what the minister had to say is that somehow teachers are, are teachers are making too much and maybe should make less, and I, I don't think that'll do anything to further the cause of coming to an that. agreeable resolution. No, but I, you can easily be inferred if you're saying that teachers are getting too much of the overall spending of education. The obvious inference from that is that they should be getting less, and I don't think that's going to help negotiations any. But the bigger issue for the Ford government is, you know, they they spent, um, we talk about no surprises, right? They spent the first year in government surprising some folks in unpleasant ways. And I had a friend who said to me recently, you know, the, the one thing the Ford government needs to avoid is any any sense that things are happening in a chaotic fashion. And that's what they really need to be, because it, clearly the Premier has turned the corner in terms of the approach of his government. It's a lot more conciliatory. We've seen recent indications of that. And what's happening with teachers threatens to undermine all of those efforts to turn the corner. Well, we haven't seen evidence that it's working in the polls. Uh, And, uh, you know, just uh, following up on that, yesterday, 
the premier did promise no surprises for municipalities as opposed to what happened <laughs> We're gonna last cut in year. Half again. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the, what do you think? With respect to the no surprises? Yeah, yeah. and, and well, the respect to education undermining it. Well, just quickly, yeah. like it, you're talking about parents joining the picket lines and giving the yeah. $25. The chatter I've been hearing, actually, is uh, interesting about uh, Conrad Block's article, because I, I don't often get into cocktail conversations about what Conrad Block just wrote. <laughs> but okay. he's talking about the overall state of our education system and how it compares against other provinces that have larger class sizes. And, uh, you know, and we're not actually keeping pace. And so that's another consideration. It's not just how it's impacting parents today. It's how are our students being impacted and how is their learning contributing to the environment, to the economy that we need to see. And I think that there is a growing unease in Ontario, to be candid, about the education system performing to the level that we need it to, which also undermines some of the union's arguments about um, this isn't about just wages. Well, it's actually, it is about wages. And on the other side, it's about performance. And so how do we ensure we get the performance for the money that we're spending? And I think that that is an emerging discussion. Yeah. And that's what's going to be coming out more and more, I think, as the strike prolongs mm-hmm. and gets longer, is these kind of debates to say, okay, well, let's actually justify our, our, our system versus somebody else, not other within the province, within the country, but also internationally, who, who are, we're competing against. And I think that becomes a bit of a challenge um, for, this, uh, for this situation with the unions. And the government, without a doubt, I think, once they get this resolved, they, they just can't have this prolonged and going into, uh, you know, the fall or in the spring and then beyond that. Um, so obviously, it's something's going to have to happen. But I'm not convinced that, that all the teach, all the parents are favoring the unions. I think there's still a bit of a split on this. I think, oh, the, no, argument, I, I think the argument is still very much, you know, look, at, we're, we're prepared to give the union some, some leeway on this. But if this keeps escalating and it keeps affecting them over the week by week, I think you're going to see that change. I, I mean, my perception, and you guys are parents, so um, you will have a better perception than me, was that at the start, public opinion was with the government, with Stephen Lecce, and that now it's getting to be more balanced. But I don't think, I, I couldn't say that a majority of parents are in favor uh, well, and, going and, with the union. And the minister's message continue, continually is and has to be about the fact that, look, at, we're prepared to be at the table, the unions aren't. Mm-hmm. And if that message continues out there, the say that, like, we're prepared to negotiate. We've got certain things that we can't, you know, we can't budge on, like the 1%, because, it, you know, we have to look at the finances of the province writ large, not only just on this issue, but we're prepared to look at everything else uh, on the table. And unions saying, no, we don't want that. We don't want that. And it makes it them look like that it's just about salaries and just about the 1%. Uh, and that's where I think the message has to continually be. But I think the government needs to so, say that we're prepared to come to the table. We're prepared to find a private n- n- arbitrator. Uh, let's get back and let's see something happen. And the unions aren't doing that. That's going to look bad on them. Do you agree, Charles? Well, I should point. Oh, yes, have yes, I, your have I teachers. Have I how, many, yes. how many in your family, Charles? <laughs> six. A lot of teachers. I six. have six so, yeah. brothers-in-law and sisters-in-law who are teachers, so I'm always on thin ice when I'm talking about <laughs> this. It's a regular conversation at family gatherings. Um, but a- any suggestion that our education system as I mean, Conrad Black knows about as much about the education system as he does about the prison system. Let's be clear about that. Well, no, 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 no
prison <laughs> system you know, in the U.S. anyway. <laughs> in the U.S. anyway. <laughs> and, and, but tying in the issue of our overall educational performance and somehow that, you know, Stephen Lecce as minister is, is, is going to beat down the teachers and, and suddenly we're going to have a better education system is a non-starter. I mean, it's just, it, it's just the kind of thing that inflames the rhetoric and makes things more difficult in terms of achieving a, a meaningful resolution. And it won't be actually him, quite frankly, Charles. No. It won't be the minister bringing it up. It's, it's, everybody, it's, it's the commentators, it's, the journal, it's everybody else now that's going to be bringing up that old issue about our, our system and versus the other systems. Yeah. And, and it started by Conrad Black, but it's going to be continued mm-hmm. and it's going to be, uh, I think, exasperated over the course of the next little while as this continues. It won't be the minister saying our system, you know, his interest is to make sure that our system is the best in the world. Right. Uh, and he'll do whatever it's he not. can. It's not. It's not. But, it's not. But, but every, every education minister will come in and be sworn in and their first task is to make sure that the, uh, Ontario's education system is the best in the world. That's their goal. It's never going to be achieved. It's hard to be achieved. But that's what their goal is. It's, it's not to make it worse or to make it mediocre or to make it sort of fit in this. Um, but the challenge is now is that he's not going to be saying it. Others are going to be saying it. And that's where it's going to start affecting the unions. Uh, I know that uh, this this is not uh, hot off the press, but so we saw that poll where the leaderless liberals eclipsed the governing conservatives. Uh, any anything further on that? Well, we, we won't be choosing a leader. If the, if the <laughs> yeah, exactly. That. <laughs> my my I'm only response. The quo. Let's just, uh, my, my, my response to that is, well, wait till they get a leader, then it's going to go back down. <laughs> um, look, uh, it's one of those things where. I remember when uh, when Patrick Brown had his troubles, and, and we were in opposition, uh, and um, and he had resigned, and we were sort of in the process of picking our leader. Almost and, exactly and a year ago today, January twenty fourth, I think. Well, wow, it might have been. Right. Yeah, I remember yeah. it being winter, in fact. Um, but nonetheless, our our polling numbers were, you know, superseded the Liberals as well back in the time, and we didn't have a leader at the time because Patrick had resigned and we had, Doug Ford wasn't elected leader yet, but um, there's snapshots in time. I think it still shows that um, some of the some of the challenges the government had in the first year are still lingering. Uh, I do believe that, as we've all talked about in the in the past, that there's been a new and approved uh, Premier Ford in, in government and he's changed and he's, some of the changes he's making, including with the municipalities, as you talked about earlier, with no surprises, those kinds of things that have changed from year one and now going to year two, um, I think are going to start taking effect. They're going to start getting into the consciousness of voters over the next little while. I've always said it's like turning a cruise ship. Uh, and uh, you'll see, I think, polls once the legislature comes back in mid-February and once the rubber starts hitting the road, that'll change. Yes, go ahead, Charles. Um, you know, <laughs> it hasn't received a lot of attention, but I actually attended a debate of the Ontario Liberal leadership candidates last week. Uh, I was singularly impressed with uh, the quality of the discussion. Um, there was surprisingly little Ford bashing. Um, it was actually a, a detailed conversation about what had gone wrong with the previous Liberal government and what the party had to get right going forward. So that, that shows, what does that show? I suppose it shows some degree of contrition and self-awareness in terms of how we brought 2018 on ourselves as a party. Um, I will say that most folks think Stephen Del Duca has a pretty solid lead at this point. Uh, he's a former cabinet minister, former political staffer. Uh, some people say he's a career politician, but he is a highly skilled individual. And he's also, um, he's, he's not a flashy 
type no, by, any, uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Putting it mildly. I mean, he is meat and potatoes, all about business, was always the best brief minister at the cabinet table. And um, it, so it, it might be interesting to see what, what happens when he when he's yeah. there, because he is he is the definition of a steady hand. You know, I'm, I'm going to put this out there. We've been trying to get him on, on the show. I don't think he's that interested in being out there to anybody but those signed up liberal members. Who can elect at this stage? Him. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, but, uh, but I, I think that. The imagine most, that. The and he's got a lot of taint yeah. from from the win era. I mean, he was right in there. Yeah. As, as were the others. Some but the I, others. I think one of the most interesting aspects of the poll that um, a leaderless Liberal Party is ahead of the Conservatives is really something that the NDP should be th- thinking about. Like, wh- wh- where are they? What? <laughs> <laughs> where are they? <laughs> where are they? <laughs> and they're the official opposition. And, you know, it might be a moment of, moment of reflection for that party. Because if they can't even, you know, in this state where the general public is, is not entirely enamored with the performance of the current government, and they're still still not polling ahead of, of the leaderless liberals, then I, I think that they need to have their own moment of whatever reflection. Actually, <laughs> moment of reflection. Uh, Karen's right about that, quite yeah. frankly. That is that is a, a huge focus. And, and and even during the whole break, you, you barely Nothing. see Andrew Horvath yeah. at all yeah. saying anything. And, and in fact, it's Merritt Stiles, yeah. uh, given the fact that education is obviously yeah. one of the issues, and she's the education critic for the NDP, she's out there more and being more effective an opposition leader than, than the leader of the NDP. Um, but look, I think I think I'm with Charles on this, and I'm not a liberal, but I'm, I follow it closely. Uh, and that is, I think Stephen DeLuca has this on the first ballot. It's going to probably be a bit of a runaway, which I think does the Liberal Party a disservice. I think they need to have an exciting convention, a, a convention, and they've got a delegated convention. Quite frankly, unlike our conventions, which are one member, one vote, and a little bit more. You know, um, less exciting. Boring by um, nature. <laughs> less <Yeah. laughs> exciting, but they have an, an opportunity to be an exciting kind of. But I think it's, it's going to be lost on them. Stephen Duduka, who I know is, is going to be an effective leader. He's he's obviously quite smart and a good politician, but I think they're going to lose that media that they need to have to get that extra bump because I think it's just an aberration. This is a sort of snapshot in time. This poll, it's going to change once the house comes back. Okay, uh, let's turn to the federal conservatives and their race a little further out. Uh, you know, uh, some people are reading into it at this moment. We still don't know if Ron Ambrose is going to run. We've had a report that she won't. I don't know if she's waiting for that possible appointment as ambassador to Washington. But uh, it seems in some ways to be shaping up as, as the old divide. You've got the old progressive conservative party, Peter McKay, the front runner, uh, versus Pierre Polyevra, the alliance you know, are they stuck in time? No, I, I think that's natural, just given the fact that we've had two very successful legacy parties merging into one, and we've had factions and, and uh, politicians and, and from both sides of the fence, and I think that's a natural um, uh, issue. I think that the issue of, of whether or not you reform alliance versus whether or not your old PC is gone, I think there's always going to be some level of... of, of, of um, uh, interplay there, but nothing significant. Um, the Rona Ambrose issue, I think a lot of people are still waiting for her. I know there's a La Presse article that said that she wasn't running, yeah. but I've had a number of conversations with people that are close to her that says that she's still thinking about it, which is, is, is heartening. I think she's got until the end of February to decide, and obviously that'll be a game changer if she comes in. But if she does not come in, uh, you've got Peter McKay, you've got Pierre Polvev, you've got um, Aaron O'Toole, the three that are, are most definitely in, including Marilyn Gladue, who's an, a lesser-known uh, backbench MP from Sarnia, uh, who's indicated she wants to run. You've got the charade sort of hanging in there as well and, and others. But um, I, I think that the race will likely come down to a, a Peter McKay and or a P- 
Pierre Polovev um, uh, battle, but I think I think two of them have strong support, strong teams, and and are both equally talented. Do you have an opinion on that? Oh, Charles? do I? Yes. <laughs> I mean, it, it's funny when you talk about traditional progressive conservatives or red Tories. That's actually a, a fairly small segment of today's conservative party. I mean, some people say it's somewhere between ten and twenty percent of the membership. And what you have out there, and it varies across the country. Um, it's much more rural. It's much older. It's whiter, and um, a lot of social conservatives. And a lot of reform instincts. Um, and that says to me that the Conservative Party is going to naturally be inclined to someone who is not center-right, but is far right of center. And that isn't Peter McKay. I mean, he may attempt to stake out some ground in that regard. But, you know, when it comes to the pro-life movement in this country, they've made it very clear that they're very comfortable with Pierre Paul. Yeah, but I would, just a minute. Yeah. So Peter McKay, when you check his record, voted against same-sex marriage twice came out against it pierre polyevra just made some announcement saying he's totally cool with it well uh, and i think uh, ralph goodale voted voted as well back in the day so i think there's a lot of uh, people have changed over the course of the last number of years uh but i I would disagree with with charles on on the assessment of the party i think that um you know we've always been an open tent party we do have former reformers former progressive conservatives new conservatives that came in when the parties merged um and and you know we try to balance all of those interests for the sake of the country but i would say this if if charles was right then andrew Scheer would still be leader of this party i would agree with that yeah And I I do think the conservatives have to do some soul searching about what does the party stand for, because I I don't think it's a social conservative party. Mm -hmm. I I think it has more potential to be something better and bigger for the country. And, you know, in fact, I don't understand why the conservatives aren't grabbing onto the environment agenda as an economic imperative, because that is actually where they should be. And it shouldn't be about taxing. It should be how do we create an economy that supports the green economy, because that's where we actually need to go. And that's the future. They, They could own that space with not too much straddling or or pretzeling but you know again they have to come out and, and want to do that <laughs> so it's you know part of the job i think of the leader is to start that conversation and see where it goes and you know uh, and, and for what it's worth i don't think rona ambrose is going to run i don't think she's interested i think she's got a great life and <laughs> she's living large and why would she give it up for the, the uh, for the spoils of politics i think the jury is still out on exactly what happened to andrew Shear post-election i mean i saw a lot of high-priced consultants and a lot of senior people around stephen harper who were knives out as of election night. And I, I really wonder what that what rank-and-file conservatives really make of all that, the fact that you have, and I won't mention names, and John is certainly not among them. But, um, you know, these, these are folks who are that very, John very Baird publicly. report, we haven't seen it. Yeah. yeah. But the other, the other thing that's, that is, is, I think, a terrible temptation for a lot of conservatives, especially the more right, right-wing conservatives, is what Donald Trump demonstrated in the United States, which is that you can play to a very narrow base. You can play the politics of division. You can stoke up resentment and anger and fear fairly quickly and successfully and win. And I think there are a lot of conservatives who look at that and and combine that with their just utter contempt of Justin Trudeau. And I won't be surprised if that's where the Conservative Party finds itself later this year. Okay, we're basically out of time. So can we just do this as a uh, final thought? 
John, go ahead. <laughs> well, no, I think at, at the end of the day, I think that that kind of stuff that Charles mentions works certainly in the U.S. because there's a two-party system. I think it's less likely to be that kind of that kind of play here. Certainly, the conservatives wouldn't be that. I'll do my part to make sure it doesn't sort of fall in that category. Um, but look, we'll, we'll be looking towards the uh, the legislature coming back in mid-February. It'll be interesting to see what happens in Ontario once uh, once the Premier Ford gets back in action. Yeah, I think that we are, um, as I say, I mean, I had predicted the rise of the Green Party because I thought there was an appetite for something different than the status quo. Uh, I still think it exists, and I still think that there is an opportunity for the Conservatives to capture the hold of the imagination of the country to do politics differently if, if they can figure out a way to deliver that. And that will be the challenge for whoever takes on the reins of the, of the Conservative Party. As I said some weeks ago, I think Pierre Poilev is the one to watch. I don't think the party is of an appetite to embrace someone with more experience and more stature like Peter McKay or, or Jean Charest. I think they will opt for someone who's a lot perceived to be a lot further along the right-wing spectrum. And uh, so if we're having this conversation and it's Polev, I expect lunch to be purchased for me. Okay. <laughs> you heard it here. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, John Capobianco, Karen Stinson, Charles Bird. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.